Super Talk Mississippi media production. Fordofcorinth.com is having a 2023 inventory blowout sale. Check out all of last year's models in the lot, which must be moved. Bring your enthusiasm and your down payment. Let our team of finance professionals remove the test so you can just drive off our lot. Fordofcorinth.com. What's up, guys? As promised, if you listened to yesterday's podcast, I told you we'd have a special Thursday edition, kind of one of those 20, 30-minute interview type deals that I've done in the past with a number of different guys, uh, most notably, I guess, Braden Thornberry when the Sanderson was in town. But we have Bracken Ray on uh, to discuss kind of what's wrong with this Ole Miss basketball team, how they can improve on the offensive end, some personnel stuff, uh, some things he notices about some younger players, Sammy Hunter, K.J. Buffin, Blake Henson, a couple other guys. Uh, really good, smart interview. Appreciate Bracken coming back on. We tried to have him on, I think, early December after Ole Miss hit that stretch of uh, four games in a row against pretty good competition. Lane Kiffin got hired, so that kind of <laughs> threw a wrench in things, but appreciate Bracken coming back on. Uh, worked for Andy Kennedy for a few years, smart basketball guy, good friend of mine, really appreciate his time. So without further ado, here is Bracken Ray. All right, he is back on our resident basketball analyst, Bracken Ray, former AK staffer, good friend of mine, former high school teammate. Uh, what's up, man? Been a minute. Yeah, not a whole lot. Just uh, getting kind of settled from the holidays. I'm up here in Nashville and uh, just watching hoops and having a good time. Hoping, hoping the Titans get a big job this week. Dude, that's been crazy. I know, like that city of Nashville has got to be nuts right now. Like I've been, I grew up going to those games because my grandparents are from there, and like in a sea of like Saints fans, I was really the only one that kind of like ever rooted for the Titans. But like. Those are the two biggest wins of my lifetime because, like, when they went to the AFC title game and the Super Bowl and all that shit, like, I was way too young. Like, what is what has it been like there? Yeah, it's kind of been one of these things where, like, everybody is going to the same spot they were at the week before because everybody's so superstitious <laughs> about things. And so I have a feeling Sunday around, you know, 2 or 3 o'clock that'll be happening again here. But it's been, it's been nuts. It's kind of crazy to me. Nashville's just a big... NFL town anyway. Like, there's a bunch of Bills fans down here, um, Patriots fans, Colts fans, a lot of Saints fans, obviously, too. So it's kind of been crazy to see when you go out, like, what different jerseys people are wearing and stuff. Yeah, because it's like, well, you do have a bunch of transplants there, and I do remember that like right. being the case when the Preds first got there. It's like, for a while, they didn't really have much of a fan base. It was a bunch of just fans from Northern teams, like, coming to the arena in, like, Red Wings jerseys or, like, Rangers or whatever the case may be. But then, the Tit- I think it helped that the Titans were good right when they got there. So they've had a pretty solid fan base. I enjoy going to those games. They haven't had a very good product of late. Uh, I guess until the last year or so, but it's been uh, it's been good. Hopefully, we can kick some more ass on uh, Sunday. That'd be so wild if they went to the Super Bowl just like behind this running back and basically saying "screw modern offense." Yeah, I think Nashville will explode if that happens. So it's always uh, it's always a lot more fun when you're winning. Now, no doubt about that. Yeah, I can't wait. Sunday is going to be nervy, but a lot of fun. I uh, on another note, on a team that is not necessarily playing as well. Uh, last time we had you on, Ole Miss, I believe, had just entered. Maybe they were in the middle of that stretch where they were kind of playing. They went to Brooklyn and came back. I think it was somewhere around then. Uh, since then, things haven't gotten much better. I would say they probably played a little bit worse. They go to Florida last night, shorthanded and lose. Like the result was kind of predetermined. Obviously, once you know you found out you were without C, you were without uh, Tyree. But like last night aside, just. 
What are you kind of seeing from this thing? We'll start on the offensive end. What is uh like? Why are they struggling so bad in half court offense? Because on paper, the pieces they're putting on the floor, they shouldn't be as bad as they are. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know, I was kind of thinking about that offensively. I've been thinking about it for a couple weeks now. I think if you if you look at this season, it's kind of broken down offensively into three different time periods. So you had that first kind of three to five games, and what you know, Kerm was trying to do, and every coach tries to do it early, is play inside out. So hey, you know, we're going to go through our five man. We're going to try to um, you know low post. Um, kind of points in the paint, and C was doing a pretty good job of passing out of that, but he's not your back-to-basket guy like uh, Sebastian was and even Bruce at times were. So, you know, that, that's something that they were trying to attack real hard early. I don't think it worked well. On a positive note for uh, Hadim, at least, is I do think he is uh, he's pretty good off the pick-and-roll almost statistically. Uh, grades out very well on pick and roll, and that that's something he does a good job of. I think he could finish stronger around the rim at times. But so then you kind of get into your second phase of the season, and this is kind of you know once your cupcakes were over, you're getting into some of these neutral site games at Memphis, and what you were seeing, Rippy, is you're seeing a lot of the ball sticking in Brian's hands, and. Brian's ball dominant, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's a ball hog, but what happens is the reason I say uh, sticks in his hands is that when the ball gets in his hands, the other four people on the floor kind of just stand around and watch. And so a big statistic that a lot of college coaches chart, um, I would think every single one of them does, is, hey, what's our field goal percentage off of turns, meaning passes? So it's normally, you know, zero, one, two, and then three plus. Um, and so I think after that, the staff really was kind of hammering on them. Hey, let's turn the ball. You know, we don't want it to get stuck in Brian's hands. We need to reverse sides of the court. Well, then that gets you into the last part of the season, and this is the most recent. Now what's happening is the ball is moving laterally, and we're reversing it. But when it gets in, you know, certain people's hands, especially kind of your point guards, they're doing a lot of counters, which is like, you know, trying to cross guys over. But nobody's playing downhill. Nobody's attacking towards the basket. I think it would be interesting to see, um, and I don't have enough time on my hands to do this, but to see how many times people get two feet in the paint, or, you know, Ole Miss's players get two feet in the paint, from a guard standpoint, and wins versus losses. That because sounds like where you is, miss Terrence, right? Say that again? That's right, That sounds like where you miss Terrence Davis. A- absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, the thing is, um, you know, I think TD for two or three years was the best finishing guard in the SEC, even, you know, when he was hitting his slumps, all that stuff. But the, the thing is, Brian can play downhill when he wants to. Um, he's obviously got a good mid-range game, but... He can finish. He's athletic. We've seen him dunk on people for four years now. Um, and then, you know, you've got some athletic guys on the wing. I've seen, you know, Bryce Williams be able to get downhill. So what they're doing is, I think it's a culmination of a few things, but, you know, some of it, it probably is they run that continuation kind of motion offense where their point guard dribbles at the wing and the wing's either supposed to back cut or come off a dribble handoff and 
sometimes when I watch it, it's like one of those high school teams that you watch, and they're just trying to please the coach and like trying to run the offense correctly when really they should kind of be reading what's going on because there seems to be there seems to be uh, more opportunities there to kind of play downhill. So I think that that's one of their big issues there too. And then I mean, with, you got a with the team that's struggling shooting and Ole Miss, you know, from the three point last night line last night shot 18%, you know, not shooting well from three, but settles a lot from three, you need extra possessions. And you're really not getting those because you're ranked, you know, bottom 25, bottom 50 in the country in offensive rebounds right now. So I think those kind of three stages of the season, you've kind of seen evolve. And now it's, hey, you know, these guards need to be on the attack. They need to play aggressive. They're not going to get a whole lot of help off their big men um, from post-up and playing inside-out. Nobody's going to really dig on these big men to kind of free up some open shots. So now the ball's kind of in their court to start playing downhill more. The first thing you said, there's a lot uh, lot to unpack there, but the first thing you mentioned that I like is, or that I guess that I noticed, is you talked about at the beginning of the season, coaches try to play inside-out. Obviously, throughout the course of a season, competition gets different. But it it was apparent to me through the first three, four, five games. If you mentioned, if you remember, KJ Buffin, they were using a lot of him in the high post, and obviously it was weaker competition until he got to Memphis. But it seems like they've gotten away from that. Some of that's Buffin not being able to stay on the floor. Some of it's like Kermit said last Saturday after Arkansas, he doesn't feel comfortable playing he and Henson at the same time. Just in your mind, just kind of I guess color in the rest as to why they've gotten away from that because they don't seem to be doing hardly any of it. Yeah, and, and, you know, you'd like to play high-low a little bit. I'll tell you, you know, when I look on a season scale, I think they do a pretty good job of it um, when people zone them. But, I mean, people aren't zoning them a lot right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you could have KJ playing at the high post um, and, you know, Murphy Holloway used to get the ball kind of around that free throw line, and obviously, you know, the joke is he didn't have a right hand. He'd always go downhill with his left hand, but giving KJ the opportunity at the high post to kind of make some plays right there, and then if you if he makes a shot or, you know, he goes and lays the ball up once or twice, then these guards are going to start digging on him, and our guards are going to have opportunities for uncontested threes when, quite, quite frankly... Right now, we're getting, you know, to five seconds and under on the shot clock and just having to, you know, make something happen and shoot a 20-25 footer. You mentioned the, the, the running the continuity offense and it just kind of looking like they're doing it to please the coach. At, at what point, I'm not asking you to second-guess anyone here, but, like, at what point would you, at what point would you think Kermit might try to alter that? Because I think it's become, even to untrained eyes, increasingly apparent that this team is not playing on the offensive end in a way that maybe maximizes their skill sets or that at least needs to try something different. At what point would you mix it up? Yeah, and, you know, the thing that I think um, could potentially happen is kind of running more quick hitters, kind of running some flat ball screens um, at the top, um, putting the ball in Brienne or Devontae's hands kind of in the top of the floor and letting them go play downhill. Um you know, like like you said, you know, this offense takes a while to develop, and um, our, the guards just aren't playing with a lot of confidence right now. So, I mean, I do I do think that that could be something that'll happen. I think it'll increase your possessions as well. 
as far as just looking at from a personnel standpoint, it, it, it's been interesting. Like I, I was surprised to hear Kermit say, even though I understood why, after Saturday, he's struggling to play Buffin and Henson at the same time because of the defensive lapses. In your mind, obviously Blake had a kind of a rough start to the year with the blood disorder, and he kind of didn't really get in the swing of things and came in late after a long layoff not being able to do anything. You know, Buffins or Henson, I should say, Buffins had foul trouble. Just in your mind, with those two, what's kind of kept them from from making the jump as to? I mean, I say consistent offensive threats, but it's really just kind of reliable on both ends of the floor. Yeah, yeah, they're um, you know, and Kermit's preaching defense all to this team. You know, he's trying to establish culture, and um, I mean, I've got a lot of respect that he's doing that um, because he wants to set the tempo. From that standpoint, but what you look at is you're right. Blake kind of got in there late. He really could have benefited from um, practices in August, September, October. Um, and then you look at KJ, and if you look at the numbers, KJ and losses has been pretty good, and in wins, or excuse me, the vice versa, in wins he's been pretty good, and in losses he just hasn't been good. I mean, we, we you and I talked, you know, five games into the season, we were like, damn. This dude kind of looks like a second-team All-SEC guy right now. Yep. But, you know, I think consistency has been part of that. We also got to remember that K.J. and Blake at 19 years old as sophomores are the veterans of the big men right now, of your fours and fives. And maybe, you know, there's there's too much pressure or burden being put on them right now as well. How badly did they miss Luis? Because I know it doesn't necessarily solve the shot making, but that's a toughness and a rebounder, and would seem to allow you a ton more lineup flexibility than Kermit currently has. Yeah, and I think you know that goes to a point I said earlier. You were ranking about as low as you can in offensive rebounds, and he was kind of a three man that could cra- uh, crash the boards. But also, what you've seen a lot, and um, you know, you had the Baldwin kid at Butler. Um, there's been a a couple like uh, two, three guys that yeah, that's I a great think, point. Yeah, that I think you know Kermit would have said, "Hey, look, go shut him down." You know, I don't care if you don't score tonight, but I need you to hold them this person under ten points. Yeah, what's happening now is you have smaller guards and shit in in inexperienced guards outside of Brian and Devonte that are guarding, you know, these big physical two, three men, and they're having career nights against us. I mean, I, he that's a big loss, and that's one I don't think people, your common basketball fan probably knows that just because they saw him play five minutes a game last year. He was, he, there was a lot of talk that he was the most improved year over year, and I, I think I believe that too. And so, yeah, I, I think that was a huge loss on the defensive end, just being able to kind of take that, take that guy out of his game. If you can take the number one out of an opposing team's game and hold them in single digits, you're going you're gonna to have a shot in a lot of games, um, whether that's SEC or some good non-cons. Yeah, that, that's a great point because Kermit mentioned that after the Arkansas game when Joe went nuts on him. It's just like he probably knew that. and I mean, he, I know he knows that. But, like, he held off on saying it's because they don't have a leash, but he just kept saying for some reason, like, other teams – Best players, you know, we, we have trouble stopping them. I think he knows why, as you just pointed out. Right. So where you're, where do they go from here? Because, like, I mean, you kind of got some positive signs from 
from Buffin and, and Henson last night, uh, really because they had no other choice. I mean, they're so shorthanded. It, where do they go from here? Because to me, just from a you know untrained eye standpoint, it seems like this LSU game is kind of like a last stand type of thing to where it could really spiral if you don't win that. Yeah, and you know, I was looking earlier today, and uh, Ken Palm, which is obviously you know one of the more respected kind of numbers out there, he has us winning uh, three games the rest of the season, all three at home. I, I don't think this thing's at that point um, yet. But, you know, I think you got to adjust your lineup a little bit. The thing that I wondered a little bit is, all right, when you get Brian and Hadeem back and Bryce is at least, you know, fairly healthy, I think at some point you got to shorten this bench up a little bit. And the reason I say that is, you know, it seems really short right now because you had two guys out, you know, last night and Bryce has been hurt, uh, Rodriguez is hurt, but... Kerm kind of, you know, took this thing over last year, and he rolled with six or seven dudes and just went after it. So, you know, I think there's one or two guys right now that um, if there weren't injuries, I'm not sure they would be getting the minutes they are. Um, So I think those guys at the bottom of the bench are playing pretty hard, and I think they actually are doing some decent things on the defensive end. But when you look at a guy like Franco Miller, I mean, he's shooting like, uh, I don't know, 25% from the field and 8% from the three. Um, the other night he had played 25 minutes. I can't remember which game it was, but he had three turnovers and four fouls, and that was his only stat. You know, that that's, that's, um, that's kind of tough to see. So I think it starts there. You know, you kind of look at it and evaluate and say, okay, do we want to shorten the bench and just ride with six or seven dudes? And then the second part of that is, hey, you know, let's find a way to kind of play downhill more, get more quick hitters in. Um, the motion offense, I mean, there's a lot of nice pieces to it. There's When he runs that continuation, there's a lot of different options out of it. But, you know, I just don't think that the guys have a lot of confidence in playing too stagnant and too rule follower-y, if that's even a word right now. As far as the uh, as far as the front court goes, you mentioned. I mean, outside of Hadim, they don't really have much in the post. Like Sammy Hunter, not really playing with much confidence. I guess two parter. Let's start. What do you see from him? And like, can that be rectified? Obviously, Carlos Curry had to play last night, but that he doesn't seem like someone that they really have in the in the picture of the rotation right now. Is there anything yeah. you can do to supplement and, and, the lack of money? And I'll kind of I'll kind of uh, cut you off on that. Did you did, did were you listening to? Um, Jimmy Dykes and Ravi last night on TV while the game was going on. So halfway, I watched the first half in the studio and the second half at the house. So I had the volume on for the second half, but not the first. <laughs> Jimmy Dykes was like really hyping Carlos Curry up, kind of in the second half. He he had like a two or three minute like hype up <laughs> for Carlos Curry, and I was I was just a little confused about it. I, Is it just because he's six eleven and looks good coming off the bus? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it kind of confused me. I was like, "Am I missing something here?" But I think, I think what Dykes was getting at was essentially that he plays real hard, and even though he's not playing right now, he's a good practice player, all that stuff. But it was, it was kind of interesting to me that for two or three minutes of game time, Carlos Curry was getting a shout out. I was just like, "Hmm, that's that's something." But yeah, I mean, when you look at it, right, Hadim. When we, you know, Hadim signs, you know, nine months ago or whatever the case may be, 
And, you know, what you're getting out of him right now, I think it's just taken him, his ramp-up time has probably been a little longer than you thought it would be. Um, and with the Juco guy, you know, you're, you're kind of expecting it right away. Um, so I, I, I think he is good. Like I said, off that pick and roll, I think he needs to be a little stronger, uh, a little stronger in the paint. I would love to see him at some point develop a back-to-the-basket game, but that's just not stuff that for the rest of the season you can count on. With Sammy, I've seen him practice. I've you know heard coaches rave about him. I've seen the highlight video. He's talented. I think it's all mental with him right now. He's another one of those guys, guys that's trying to do everything by the book right now, and he, he's just not playing with any confidence. Um, so I think, you know, that's one of those things that you just got to, um, you know, the assistant coaches and, and Kerm and all them have to say, hey, look, you know, we're riding with you, and, you know, we think you we think you can do it here. Obviously, like, lastly, you had Hadeem, you know, not make the trip, cited as a coach's decision last night. I won't go too far into actually what happened last night, but just there there does appear, for the lack of a better phrase, and I'm not even necessarily talking about just like turmoil, there are chemistry issues, it seems like, with this team, whether it's gelling off the floor and then having something like that happen with Hadeem isn't exactly a ringing endorsement of, uh, I guess, you know, it's just one guy, but kind of the state of mind and the state of things. How rectifiable is that within the confines of a season? Like, I, can you like have you been on a team that switched course like that? Like, how, how, can you change that within a season? Well, uh, Brad Scott, we went twelve and twenty my last year. That so is I, a good I point. Have, I knew you had uh, seen that. I, I have seen that before. Um, I don't see that. I don't see it being as uh, hyperbolic this year as it was that season. And I won't. I won't go into too much there, but um, that's not something I ever wish on anybody. But no, I think you know when you look at it, and and it, it really is hard. And I try not to look into it too much because as an outsider looking in, you really don't know what's going on. Right. The, you know, but what I will say is I don't think they have locker room issues, so to speak. Like, I, I think all those guys like each other. I think there's just little one-off things that, you know, two or three different guys have um, that individually is probably hurting them and in turn hurts the team. But I think these are probably things that, you know, their teammates or the program coaches, whatever, probably knew about, you know, going into it. Um, right. So I, don't, like, I, I don't think this is one of these things where it's just going to light on fire because there's all these big locker room issues. But there, And the other thing, Brian Scott, is that I, Kermit's trying to set the culture and he has no tolerance for, you know, even the smallest of things. Um, somebody did an article, article when he first got hired. He has... Um, this point system, and essentially, I can't remember how it was. I, I, I worked for him for a month or two, and it's kind of like a three-strike uh, deal, and then there's this punishment, right? So it's kind of an objective thing. It's measured. And so, that look, he's, in, he's here for the long haul, and this is kind of what his, you know, he's setting the tone. I don't think he's going to be the guy that says, hey, you're the best or second-best player on the team. I'm going to treat you differently. So, you know, if you look at it short term, it's like, okay, you know, we're not winning right now. But long term, I think he's looking at the long term picture where it's like, hey, this is, this is not acceptable for us going forward. Right. And the chemistry mostly, like to me, I guess what I was referring to is kind of on the court. But I imagine it's not like when those little things are happening off the court, I imagine 
uh, they become, I guess, maybe a little more personified or blown out of proportion when things aren't gelling on the court. It seems like just human nature to some degree, but, but, but internally and externally. Oh, oh, right, right. And look, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I, I think this team needs a leader. Um, you've really only got two upperclassmen. Um, I don't think Devontae is one of the nicest whoever me, but I don't think he's you know going to be your vocal piece. Right. Um, I think that that is a position that Brian should step up and say, "Hey, let's stop the bleeding." You know, we gotta we gotta get it going, and so I think that's something that the coaches are challenging him to do. Lastly, I think that's about covers it. Just call it weird year in college hoops. It's kind of those ones where, like, you get the hot take shows that really like, like when you don't have as much star power and you lose a Cole Anthony. Or uh, James Wise, everyone talking about how college basketball is dying. You seem to get that every two years. But, like, for, you know, this is a year that I'm sure that is probably more enjoyable for college basketball junkies because there's not a great team. Like, what do you see landscape-wise? Like, uh, first of all, I guess we'll start here. Who do you like in the SEC, if you had to guess right now? Well, I mean, Auburn looks real good right now. And their thing is they haven't missed a beat from last year after losing some real Bryce Brown and Jared Harper, but they still play real fast, but they play inside more. They kind of depend on the paint more, and they're, they're not depending on that long ball three-point shot anymore. Um, so, you know, last year, the Final Four run, it was just kind of like, you know, Auburn goes in the tournament, it's like, okay, their destiny is on whether they're hot this week or not, you know, throughout the whole tournament. But now, I mean... They've got Austin Wiley and Purifully. Um, those are dudes that are have been in the program a while. I think they have five seniors. So Auburn's been the one that's been that has been real consistent so far. Um, you know, Kentucky I think still good. Um, you know, Florida's off to a slow start. They were kind of a preseason, you know, top five team and not ranked right now. And you know, I, I still think Florida's got a shot. I, they're young too. They've got a lot. They've got all freshmen and sophomores outside of Black Sear. So I think they're one that's kind of starting to play a little better. The Missouri game was just, you know, Missouri shot like 70% from the three-point line or something against them. But, you know, that's another team that is going to take a little while to develop and mold. Um, But, yeah, college basketball is down this year. Uh, SEC looks like it'll get maybe five or six points. So um, it's definitely been weird and a little unexpected. Elsewhere, is there anyone you like? Like, seems like Baylor's got a pretty good team. Uh, it's kind of tough to figure out the ACC. Like, just kind of uh, broad yeah. scope nationally, who's kind of stuck out to you? Yeah, Baylor. Uh, I like Baylor. Um, Duke obviously lost last night. They look good, though. Um, if you look at the whole scope of it, um, I think Chris Mack's done a really good job of Louisville. Um, that was kind of a weird situation when he took it over with Patino and all that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where, like, Ohio State was, like, number four in the nation two weeks ago, and now they have five or six losses on their resume. You know, I mean, it's just nuts. That's another team that a few weeks ago I really like. So I think it's setting us up for a really exciting March and April, maybe. I, I really do. I think we're going to see – because I don't know how you feed people right now. Exactly. It's like when you get in that tournament and there's not one great team or even just two or three great teams, it would seem like just mass chaos would ensue, which for that tournament that's kind of a spectacle of chaos and drama like on itself no matter what's happening, it seemed like that would only amplify that this year. 
Right, right. And, I mean, there's a scenario, you know, I mean, UNC is probably not going to make the tournament this year. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's been very bizarre. But um, I do think it will make for appointment television once uh, March and April comes around. Absolutely, dude. I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Hopefully, um, if they if they are able to kind of get it turned around to be sooner than later. Uh, but, dude, I appreciate your time as always, and uh, hopefully we can get a win on the football field this weekend too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll be down in Oxford next week, so we'll uh, we'll have to get it done. Absolutely, dude. Holler at me. Hope we can talk about a Super Bowl. Yes, sir. All right. See you, brother. See you, dude. And that was Bracken Ray. Again, really appreciate his time. Won't be the last time we have him on. Hopefully we can get him back a time or two uh, before during March Madness. But, again, really appreciate his time. Hope you enjoyed and learned something out of that interview. A reminder, we'll be back at it tomorrow, I guess, if you're listening to this on Thursday for Mailbag Friday. Please, God, send me your Mailbag Friday questions so I don't have to beg for questions out of people on Twitter, half of which turn into some stupid question that doesn't have anything relevant to what we talk about on the show, despite there being no rules. So please, if you're thinking about this right now, I know you have questions somehow. Like, you got to be thinking about something. Just send me whatever. Send me your Mailbag Friday questions, please. Anyway, we'll be back at it tomorrow for the People's Holiday. Appreciate Bracken's time. Send in your questions and tune in tomorrow. If you're listening on Friday, just continue what you're doing. Work, doesn't matter, whatever. Stop what you're doing and listen to Mailbag Friday. It's more important than anything you're doing. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.